Thanks for joining us for today's message. We encourage you to email us and let us know what God is currently doing in your life. Or if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you can do so here on our website. Right now, you're about to listen to a message from our current series. Thanks for tuning in today. Amen. Open your Bibles to Mark the fourth chapter. Mark the fourth chapter. We've been doing a series, and maybe you've forgotten so far. Please, I encourage everyone to go online and listen to the message, but we've been doing a series called Understanding the Laws of God. Understanding the Laws of God. I'm not talking about the Levitical priest, uh, the Levitical law or Mosaic law, they call it. I'm simply talking about the spiritual laws of God. Understanding the laws of God, listen, are crucial in regards to the outcome of every battle that you face in life. And you will always be battling in life. It's just part of the journey as a Christian. But the good news is we learn to live our lives within the boundaries of God's laws. Inevitable, the victory is ours. I said the victory is ours, inevitable. We will have the victory because the Lord has promised that. Amen. We're continuing our research on the, something called the parable of the sower. Hallelujah. The word parable, uh, it's, it, the parable of the sower, the greatest parable in the Bible. And because the Lord said, if you can understand the parable of the sower, then you'll understand exactly how the kingdom of God works. Uh, there's a scripture, I believe it's in Romans, the 17th chapter, verse 14. I believe it's that. It says that the kingdom of God is not without, but the kingdom of God is within you. Say the kingdom of God is within me. Amen. It is. So the parable of the sower is all about what is on the inside of you. And, uh, and, and um, uh, it's all about farming. Jesus went out. The Bible says that a, a, a sower went out to sow in, in his field. Say his field. So you have a field we'll discover this morning in a moment. The seed happened to fall in four different environments of soil. The same soil, but each, uh, each uh, soil had a different environment. And, and the environments were hard ground, stony ground, thorny ground, and good ground. And then Jesus goes on to reveal the harvest or the yield of each uh, parcel of ground. Um, every, I want you to write this down. Every story in the Bible always refers to the spiritual side of your life. Always remember that. When you read the Bible, it's all about the spiritual side of your life. It's natural stories to reveal a spiritual principle that's going to benefit your life as you journey uh, through uh, uh, the earth on your way to heaven. How many are, how many are believing for a heavenly uh, outcome one of these days? Amen. We all are. I think I told you this, but we were up to see mom. Uh, Vicky and I were, and uh, mom, I don't, there's something about Vicky. She just brightens up when she's, she don't brighten up when she sees me. She brightens up when she sees Vicky. And, uh, and, and um, they had a good relationship uh, when mama was able to talk and respond, but she really can't say anything. And, but we had a wonderful time with her. And, um, and we were joking, kind of laughing about the time that my dad uh, had Alzheimer's. Uh, and uh, it was really bad. And, but, but just uh, in, in the early, early stages of it, uh, he could, sometimes he'd be aware and then sometimes not at all. And so one day I said, now I, we led him and mama to the Lord years ago. And, um, but, you know, I wasn't sure if he was going to heaven. And uh, so I said to Vicky, I said, why don't you ask him? Why don't you ask dad if, you're going, if he's going to heaven? If he's sure he's going, Huh? Yeah, if you wanted to pray for him uh, you know, to, to go to heaven. And so she said to dad, she looked, reached down like this and looked at him and says, Morris, do you want to go to heaven? And he looked up and he goes, well, not today. 
not today. And I'm sure, I'm sure you and I kind of have that same, you know, attitude. Yeah, we're, we're going to but not today. Unless, of course, you know, uh, number one, it's good, good to be ready. Amen. And uh, hey, Jesus uh, took the sting out of death so that we could have the hope of what's on the other side of this temporal life. 1 Corinthians 3. So let me say it again. Every story in the Bible always points to the spiritual side of our lives. In 1 Corinthians 3, the Bible says you, this is why it's so important you understand this. The Bible says you are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. Uh, under cultivation. He goes on and says, yeah, of course, you are God's building. And you are. You house, uh, you house the presence of, of God. Say God lives in me. And he really does. He lives in you. He lives in you. you when, if you've opened your heart to receive him, he come in to dwell within you, praise God, by his spirit. He lives in this house. But the Bible also says that you are God's garden. Amen. You are, and the Amplified, it says you are God's garden and vineyard and field under, cultiva- under cultivation. Now, in Genesis, the uh, second chapter, when God made man out of the dirt of the ground, he breathed into him the breath of life, and then God had a plan for man. And the Bible says he put him, he, he, God planted a garden, God was a farmer, he planted a garden, and then he put Adam in that garden for a purpose. He had an assignment, and that assignment was, assignment was to dress the garden and to keep it. Now, I'm just giving give it, give you some definitions, but before I do, listen, as long as Adam's success was determined by his willingness to remain spiritually connected to God, that, that was the key to his success. If he wanted a bright future, he had to stay connected to God. And so God said, I'm going to give you an assignment, and that is that in this garden, it's to subdue and have dominion. That's in Genesis 126 and verse 28. Now, here's, let me give you the, um, uh, the, uh, the, the definition of subdue, dominion, subject, uh, and the word subjugate in a moment. But let me say this. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says that your adversary, the devil, your adversary, say your adversary. Say my adversary. Amen. Amen. Your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour, which is exactly what he's been doing since Eden. When the serpent beguiled the woman in Genesis 3, 6, he was after, he wasn't after a natural piece of real estate God assigned to Adam. He wasn't after the natural piece of real estate. He was after Adam's spiritual real estate, and that was the power to subdue and have dominion. The word subdue in the Hebrew means to tread down. I want you to just focus for a moment on these definitions because they're not what you think they are, okay, in regards to who you're supposed to subdue over. And it says, to tread down, conquer, bring into bondage, to force, to keep under, subjugate. I'll give you that definition in a moment what that is. The word dominion is familiar to it. It's to tread down, specifically to crumble off, to crumble off. Oh, that's to crumble off, okay? And um, uh, it, it, that goes on and says, um, to prevail against, to rule over, to subjugate. And the word subjugate means to bring under domination or control, especially by conquest. That was... And listen, Satan was not Adam's greatest enemy. Adam's greatest enemy was his will. As long as he subjected his will to the will of God, he remained connected to God, remained in the fullness of God's presence, and in the fullness of God's presence, there is joy and provision forevermore. Everybody say amen to that. So that is... So God gave the God man, God man the power to subdue and have dominion. Now, in Genesis 2.15, listen to this. 
The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. The word dress there in the Hebrew means to serve, to till, to serve, to till, enslave, keep in bondage, execute, make to serve, and the word worshiper, which I thought was really cool, worshiper. So all these, all these, um, uh, uh, these uh, commands to serve, enslave, keep in bondage, execute, all is dependent on the worshiper to stay connected with God. The word keep means to hedge about as with thorns, to guard, protect, attend to, take heed to self, and watchman, which I thought was in the word watchman. So God gave you, as a human being, the power to subdue, to have dominion uh, in your life. And here's where it is. God gave you dominion over you. God gave you the power to, to um, subdue and have dominion over your spirit and your will, which is exactly what the parable of the sower is all about. It, it, um, the parable of the sower is about stewarding or managing the spiritual real estate of your life, which will ultimately determine the quality of life that you live on this side of heaven. How many believe you're going to heaven? How many would like to live a life of victory on this side of heaven? I'm not just talking about, I'm talking about victory in the sense of your life, when you die and lay down your life, that's what I'm hoping for. That when I lay down my life, someone will know that I followed God. Because they saw that in, there's some evidence of God's presence in my life. That is what this is all about. This stewarding is all about. Now listen, in Mark the fourth chapter here, there are two spiritual laws that bring this uh, uh, parable to fulfillment. It's the law of sowing and reaping. And number two, the law of Genesis. Simply the law of Genesis is everything produces after its own kind. God didn't want us to be confused. He didn't want you to plant corn and think you were getting beans. He didn't want you to plant beans and, 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 and all of a sudden corn comes up. No, he wanted you to understand that whatever you sow, you'll reap. Can I have an amen to that? He wanted you to understand that. So when you sow love, what's the harvest? When you sow compassion, what's the harvest? Amen. He's just saying, you sow the character of God and those things will ultimately make a difference in someone else's life, which is really what it's all about. This Christian life isn't about, it's not so much about blessing me, it's about God blessing others through me. That's what the Christian life is. It's God blessing people uh, uh, through me. Verse, verse 14 says, the sower sows the word. Now we know the kind of seed that, that the farmer sowed. It was the eternal, abundant, life-giving seed of God's word. If you're wanting a kingdom of God harvest, you're going to be, uh, you're gonna have to be willing to sow the kingdom of God's seed. I mean, it just, it's just the way it is. You, you have to be willing. If you want the character of God, you're going to have to seed the character of God uh, uh, in your life on a consistent basis. Amen. And the return for every sower will be determined by only one thing, the condition of the soil. Let's read verse 14. The sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. Very interesting. That's what the devil's after in your life today. He's after the seed that's right now is being sown in your heart. Amen. All right? I just want you to know what he's after. He's after the word of God because within the word of God is the character of God. Amen. The strength of God, the faith of God, the wisdom of God. Can I have an amen? amen. That's how important the word of God is to you. Uh, so... He talks about the hard heart. Uh, the, the King James says wayside. That literally means hard. And we really covered this a couple weeks ago, so you need to go online and listen to it. Hardness of heart 
uh, has been a problem in the, in, with humanity since the very beginning of time. And we'll see it here as we go on. Hardness has to do with an obstinate, unyielding heart that exalts the human will above God's will. In Mark, the 10th chapter, it says the Pharisees came to Jesus and asked him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? Is it lawful to divorce this, this ugly lady? <laughs> see, all they'd have to do is say, my wife, she's never on time. Every time we have something going, she's late. So I, I, just an excuse like that, you had a legal right to divorce her. My wife has been sassing off to me, and I'm done with it. I'm divorcing her. It they had, I mean, it was they just want little excuse like that. So they asked him about it, and they were tempting him, as, tempting him as a lawful for a man to put away his wife. And he answered and said unto them, what did Moses command you? And they said, well, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. And Jesus' response was this. For the hardness of your heart, he wrote this precept. So what does that mean to us? Listen to this. It's so important. This is so powerful. When we divorce ourselves from the, the personal responsibility of yielding to God's will above our own, like Cain, you can read about him, in the process of time, Genesis 4, our hearts will become harder and harder until the seed of God's word is incapable of taking germination of, of taking uh, root. Impossible. It just lays on top and the devil, uh, and the devil um, uh, steals it. I just want you to understand that. Uh, that's how important that you don't have a hard heart, that you keep your heart tender before the Lord. Everybody say amen. God has given us the power to enslave and dominate our own flesh so that we can harvest his nature within. Look, verse 16. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who, when they have heard the word, they immediately receive it with gladness. And my Bible references this as emotional hero, heroes. They ask there in church, hallelujah. <laughs> yeah. Then they leave here living like the devil because they don't have any root, no spiritual stability. They're only emotional heroes. Now watch this. If they have no root, they'd have no root in themselves. And so they endure, but for a time afterward, when affliction or persecution arises, when, not if, it always does. When a persecution and affliction arises, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. Amen. And the Bible calls this stony ground. Stony ground, listen to this, represents things, listen, things beneath the surface that hinder the seed from creating a strong root system. The seed, I mean, the seed germinates just as God intended, but underneath, say underneath. underneath. Underneath, there are some unseen things. It could be pride, could be rebellion, could be unforgiveness, whatever. And those are the things that keep the seed from going deep and growing strong. The Amplified says, in the same way, the ones sown upon stony ground are those who, when they hear the word, at once receive it, accept and welcome it with joy, and they have no real root. They have no real root in themselves. And so they do endure for, for a little while, but when, again, when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, they immediately are offended, or, and the Amplified says they become displeased, indignant, resentful, and they stumble and fall away. Meaning what? The scandal is on because that's what the word offense means. The word offense comes from, we get the English word scandal. And the word offend means to transgress the moral. Listen to this. The word offend means to transgress the divine or moral law. 
And every one of us as Christians have been, uh, been guilty of transgressing. Come on, lift your hand if you agree with me. Every one of us have, in some period of our journey as a Christian, have, been, have violated the law of God. Every one of us have. The word offend in the Greek is the word scandalon. It means, it means to entrap, to trip up, or cause to stumble or entice to sin. In the book of James, the first chapter, James wrote this. He said, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil, and he himself tempts no one. I added this with evil. He doesn't tempt no one with evil, okay? But every person is tempted with evil when he's drawn away, enticed, and baited by his own evil desire or lust and passions. Then the evil desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, when, and sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. So don't be misled. And I wrote this down. Don't be misled from your responsibility of obeying God's word, my beloved brethren. It's so easy to love when you're being loved, but it's another thing to love when you're not. Just the way it is. If you agree with me, say amen to that. Offense is one of the most effective traps Satan sets for the body of Christ. Listen to this, it's important. Taking the bait of offense is one thing which we all must avoid if we can at all cost. However, not letting go of the offense is when we become trapped. Not letting go of the offense is when we become trapped. The Message Bible in Mark 4 says this. Some are like the seed that lands in gravel. When they first hear the word, they respond with great enthusiasm, but there's such shallow soil of spiritual character that when the emotions wear off and, and difficult arrives, there's nothing to show for it. When we begin to willfully ignore the spiritual depths of our relationship with the Lord, you know what we do? We quickly retreat back to our carnal, fleshly nature that we so let it be out of control as a sinner. We retreat right back to that because it's so easy to do. Let me give you the power and the effect of offense. Mark the sixth chapter, listen to this. Jesus went out from thence and came into his own country. Say his own country. The Bible says his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach. And I wrote down Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing. He began to teach. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. In the synagogue, and many hearing him. Hearing him. Remember that? In the parable of the sower, every one of them heard. And hearing him, the Bible says, we're astonished saying, where in the world has this man gotten this kind of power? Where in the world has this guy gotten the things that he's teaching? Oh, mercy's sakes. What wisdom is this which is given on him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Judah, uh, Joseph, Judah, and Simon, and not his sisters with us? And they received him and embraced him and opened their hearts to him. Isn't that interesting? Oh, we've had that through the years at Faith Family. Oh, the pastor's message is great. The praise and worship is, is great. However, you know, I'm going somewhere else. It's crazy. It's crazy. But that's delusion. The Bible says they were offended at him. They were entrapped by their own pride, entrapped by their own rebellion, entrapped by their own belief. So under the surface, the spirit of unbelief was present so much that in that spiritual atmosphere, Jesus could not do a thing but just heal a few hangnails. This, the, listen, the miraculous power of God was short-circuited 
because of offense. And that's why when we come to church, we have to prepare our hearts. That was the main message of John the Baptist. Prepare ye the way. Well, how do I do that? Acknowledge that you're a sinner and you need some help. <laughs> Amen. Prepare. When you come to service, prepare your heart. Be humbled. Be broken before the Lord. Just seek him with all your heart. Seek him as, as you would a person who's so thirsty, hasn't had water for a week, and all he's looking for was a little water. And he's thirsting. Oh, give me water, Lord. That's what the Samaritan woman did. And her life was changed. So offense short-circuited the power of God. How many people go to church every week and leave without the miracle-working power of God because they've allowed offense to short-circuit God's power? Two scriptures, Proverbs 19, 11. It says, good sense makes a man restrain his anger. Watch this. And it is his glory. That word glory means beauty. It is his beauty to overlook a transgressor or an offense. It's his beauty. I mean, he, he's beautified by that. To, to be able to overlook a transgression or, or an offense. Chapter 18, verse 19 says, a brother or sister offended is harder to be won over than a strong city. Watch this. And their contentions that were discord and strife separates them like the bars of a castle. When I read that, immediately the Holy Spirit says, what are the bars of a castle for? Surely not to keep people in. They are designed to keep the enemy from entering in. Listen, but what if the one endeavoring to enter in isn't your enemy, except in your own offended mind? You might, you just might be shutting out the one who loves you the most. The word scandal land, trap, it's something they use in Africa. It really is a, that's where they got this. Scandal on trap is just a small, we've taught about this, a small little cage. Okay, maybe it's a little bigger. Maybe it's a little bigger <laughs> because they hold monkeys. And um, um, no, they don't hold monkeys. Forgive me, they don't. The scandal on trap is this what it is. It's just a small wire trap. And inside, they put a banana. And on the end of the trap, there's a hole just big enough, I mean, just big enough for a monkey to squeeze his hand through because he wants that banana. And so he squeezes his hand, just gets it in, and he grabs a hold, and of course, his fist expands his hand. And he's so stubborn, he refuses to let go of that banana. He just refuses to let go of it. So all they do is walk out, bang them on the head, and have monkey soup. That's where they get that. That's why Jesus used that. That's why he used that example. You hang on and hang on and hang on. You won't let go. Not realizing that you're entrapped by offense. Matthew 18. I'm winding this down. Matthew 18 says this. At that time, the disciples came and asked Jesus, who then really is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I wrote this down. This is known as spiritual pride. Spiritual pride, okay? So, something all Christians have to confront and conquer at various times in their lives. Spiritual pride. Let me give you the, uh, the fruit of offense is pride. That's the fruit. The fruit of offense is pride. Verse 2, so he called a little child to himself, Jesus did. He put him in the midst of them. He said, truly, I say to you guys, you prideful guys, unless you change and turn about, that's repent, 
and become like little children. I love this translation. It's amplified. Trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving. Trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving. Uh, you have faith. You're humble. You love and you forgive. You can never enter the kingdom of heaven at all. Whoever will humble himself, no one's going to do it for us. We have to do it ourselves. Therefore, and become like this little child, trusting, loving, low, trusting, lowly, loving, and forgiving is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. The greatest spiritual quality God himself put within every child is the innocence and tenderness of his heart. When, which always yields the fruit of faith, humility, love, and forgiveness, so that whatever they're taught and observed, they'll believe it, accept it, and ultimately harvest it. God, help us to be consistent as parents to seed Christ's likeness in our children. I had a family one time years ago who, they're wonderful. We love all the people that come here. We love them. We just love people. But they had a problem with offense. And they came right out and said, our family gets easily offended. You got to be careful for your confession. And, you know, of course, yeah, you know, so... Of course, they're no longer here. Why? Because they were easily offended. But you know what the sad part about it is? It came on their children. And their children now are easily offended. And that generational curse will continue on from every generation until someone in that generation says, this is enough. I refuse to get offended. Because offense to a believer is an act of the will. It's not, it's not some spiritual force that t- overtakes you so you're incapable of, not, uh, of, of just it conquering you. No, no, no. You have a will. You can get out of it right now. Just, just get yourself before God and ask him for his help. Can I have an amen? amen? Verse 5. And whosoever shall receive, and I can't read all this. I wish I could. Whosoever shall receive such little child in my name receives me. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone be hanged around uh, his neck and that he be drowned in the depth of the sea. A millstone was a massive rock um, that they had carved like a big wheel. And, um, and, and they rolled it around a, a cupped uh, saucer. And as they rolled it, they, they would throw corn and wheat in there and it would crush it. As they rolled it, it would crush it. Jesus says, if you fall upon him, you'll be crushed. I mean, I mean he, he will take everything that's not good in your life and get it out if you'll just fall on him. But he says, anybody who offends a child from believing me, man, it'd be better that he's not even around. That, that sounds like mafia, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Put a stone over your neck and throw you in the oak. That sounds like mafia. Hey, man, you pay up or we're going to get you, man. That was poor, but anyway. <laughs> woe unto the world because of offenses, Jesus said, for it must needs be that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense comes. So we need to be smarter than the monkey. Now listen, it goes on to say this, and I'll just quickly keep reading as you keep, no, not right now, but as you keep reading, you, he said, so if your eye offends thee, pluck it out. If your hand offends thee, cut it off. If your foot offends thee, cut it off. What was he saying? These are instruments in your body. The instruments of the hand is to reach out and hold on to something. But before that, the instrument of the eye is to focus on something long enough so it becomes a stronghold in your life. So you reach out and you hold on to it. And what does your feet do? Your feet take you towards it and become bondaged by it. 
So, it's like, so whatever, if your eyes offended you, pluck that offense out. If, if your hand is reaching out and holding on to something, cut that offense out. That's, he's not telling you to get a saw and cut your arm off. Again, remember, every natural story reveals a spiritual truth for your life. So whatever is in our lives, we need to get them out so God can uh, have uh, a greater um, presence and purpose in our lives. Three scriptures real quick I'm going to read, and then we'll be done. Hebrews 12, look at this, New Living Translation. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, say the life of faith, so now we know that we, there's people that preceded us now in heaven. We honored some of them this morning because of their faith and their endurance. See, they, the, watch, watch this. Since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witness to the life of faith, let us strip off. Or we could also say, let, let, or we could say, let us also strip off. Why? Because the others did. Those heroes of faith did this. They stripped off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. I'm not, when I read that, that that's got to be offense. Because offense is the word scandalon means to trip up. Now, it may not be, but I'm not off by saying that. Can I have an amen? Because it's tripping us up. Let us strip off every way. Isn't that offense weighs you down? It really does. And that slows us down, especially this sin so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. You know, that's what the Apostle Paul meant when he says, I know no man after the flesh. Of course, we know each other after the flesh, right? I mean, if we hang around one another, we know each other, but we, we're not moved by that. Because we have been in the presence of the Lord, so we're not moved by the natural. We're only moved by his character. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, discarding its shame. Now he's seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. How many, how many are grateful that Jesus didn't give up? I mean, he endured hell for it. He endured everything that uh, the devil could throw at him. For, and he did that for us. Jesus never got offended. I love that story of him hanging on the cross. There were two thieves. Those guys were there rightfully because they broke the law, but he didn't do anything. And one of them said, hey, if you're, if you're God, then get off the cross. A very, very, a very, very critical attitude. The other guy said, hey, please, Lord, remember me. In your kingdom. I mean, he believed. He believed that Jesus was God, and he believed that he was going to be raised from the dead. So that's why he said, please remember me. Please remember me. And that guy got saved. Amen. Is that cool? That guy went to heaven. Well, of course, first to paradise, till Jesus rose from the dead. I'm so glad for his mercy. I mean, very good. Ephesians 3, where, this is it. Look at verse 17. May Christ through faith actually dwell and settle down, abide, and make his permanent home in your hearts. May you be rooted deep, watch that. May you be rooted deep, rooted deep in love and found securely on love that you may have the power, there it is, that you may have the power and be strong to apprehend and grasp with all the saints, God's devoted people, uh, the experience of that love, the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of it that you may really come to know through experience for yourselves the love of Christ which far surpasses mere 
human knowledge without experience, that you may be filled through all your being unto all the fullness of God, may have all the richest measure of his presence and become holy, fluttered, and filled and fluttered with God himself. And isn't that what we want? How many want to be filled and fluttered with God's presence? I do. I do. Oh, not for me, but for those who are in desperate need of his presence. Finally, in Ephesians 1, and I love this, one of the, Andrew years ago called me and said, Dad, this great scripture, we should do a, um, we should do a theme uh, on, this, on this scripture, and I'll show you. He goes, watch what God does, and then you do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents, mostly what God does is love you. Would you lift your hand and give him praise for that? Please, just express your thanks to him for that. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. You need to love like that. Thank you for listening to today's message. We'd love for you to join us for our Sunday morning services at 10 o'clock. We also have what we call School of the Bible on Wednesday nights from 7 to 8. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.